0: Morning everyone. Well, good. Well, this morning uh, I thought I'd talk to you about uh, this topic. It's something that, I suppose there's been a couple of things that have just stirred it with me. Um, The topic is about finding peace. Uh, One one of the things I think probably subconscious, a subconscious thing, uh, was there was a lot of talk about Billy Graham uh, when he, died, and, and uh, what his, one of his main messages was that it was possible through Jesus to, to make peace with God. That was one of his main uh, points of what he shared, and I've been musing on what it is to be at peace with God, because I think that's something that God wants for all of us, and to walk in the reality of. The trouble is, when many of us think of the word peace, we see a scene like this. We look, you, know, you can look online, you can find hundreds of pictures that will be of tranquility and peace. And mostly, we find that that thing called peace is not where we are. It's, it's somewhere else. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a place that we perhaps wish we were, but actually, for the moment, it's not where we are. So we spend our lives looking for things that will substitute for that thing that we think of as peace. You see, circumstances can affect our happiness. But I believe that there's a a place for peace for us that's independent of circumstance. And I think that's a journey based on what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit do in us and through us. And I'd just like to take you on a bit of a journey today. So, in John 20, uh, Jesus has been risen from the dead, has been raised from the dead. He appears to his disciples. The disciples... I've got a feeling you need to plug that in somewhere, but I'm not sure. The disciples are together in one place... Uh, and the doors are locked because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. And, um, And Jesus comes and stands amongst them, and the first thing he says to them is, "'Peace be with you.'" And after that, he showed them his hands and sides, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, "'Peace be with you.'" As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, "'Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven.'" If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Isn't that interesting? The first thing that Jesus said to those disciples when they were gathered in one place, the first message he brought from having been, having died and come alive again was to confer on them this thing called peace. So I suppose I want to look at what do we mean by peace? Well, to the disciples, they actually were in... a a relatively, at the start of a relatively long period of peace in Europe, uh, the peace existed because there was a thing called the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was big and bloody when it was expanding. But once it expanded, people stopped fighting because there were a lot of Roman soldiers who were ready to kill you if you stepped out of line. And, um, And that is, in a sense, a kind of a peace. But it's not the peace that God intends for the world. When Daniel was talking about people not having vision, our leaders not having vision, um, there's that famous uh, quote from a guy called Neville Chamberlain in 1938 who came back with a piece of paper from Germany saying that we would have peace in our time because he'd agreed with... Uh, and Mr. Hitler as to a a non-aggression pact that meant that Britain was going to be safe and we were not going to have a war. And we know that that didn't go too well. Uh, Peace is long sought after by government. But peace doesn't come from out there. Peace comes from in here. God's determined that there should be a thing called peace that is not just about the absence of war, but it's about wholeness. It's about a completeness, harmony. The the the, um, Hebrew word shalom, it, it talks about completeness, wholeness, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of discord. Well, I think I quite like some of that. I'll go through that again. Wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, and the absence of discord. See, that's, that's what God intends for us to find in Jesus a wholeness of peace, and I want to look at what that looks like for us today. Meeting with Jesus leads to us knowing peace. The first thing that Jesus says to those disciples is, "Peace be with you," and he also then confers the Holy Spirit on them. And the Holy Spirit works in us to produce peace, and um, and we're going to look at we're going to look at that in uh, some more. Uh, detail, but it's even in this verse, knowing peace is linked with something else. Jesus doesn't talk about peace and the Holy Spirit on their own, he talks about forgiveness. And I think one of the things that can rob us of peace is is not living in the fullness of the forgiveness that God has for us. <coughs> Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace, so we don't come to someone who isn't able to give us the peace that we desire. We come to one who is, who is who was born to bring, to make peace and goodwill to all men. Uh, and so, so we come to him as one who is able to give us that. So people long for peace, but the thing is that generally people don't get it. Um, this, I'm going to go through this quite quick. Um, I thought, I wonder what if I do a little internet search on stress in the UK, what I find, okay? So this company um, are a health-based company. They're about promoting uh, balance in life, and they've carried out a survey, and these are the results of the survey this year, okay? Um, they carried out uh, some research with 2,000 participants. They found that 85% of UK adults are experiencing stress regularly. 85% of UK adults experience stress regularly. Over a third of British re- residents are stressed for at least one full day per week. Um, the most common causes of stress are money, followed by work and health, uh, and failure to get enough sleep and household uh, chores. <coughs> 39% of adults feel they are too stressed uh, admit that they, 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 get, they, sorry, they feel too stressed in their day-to-day lives. And uh, over half of people are worried that it, this stress is going to affect their health. And uh, about a third of people use exercise to try and get over this stress thing. Now, we are a church. We're not in this survey. This survey is based on only 2,000 people. But you know how surveys are, Anthony. If you've got a survey of 2,000 people and you choose your 2,000 people quite well, then you can get quite a lot of accuracy. Imagine, I mean, maybe you don't have to imagine that hard to believe that 85% of the people in this country are stressed at some point. Maybe that's not so far away from you. I don't believe that's how God intends us to be. Did you know that not everyone gets as stressed as each other? Did you know that women feel more stressed than men? Generally, apparently. (laughs) Uh, that money is the, most, it, the largest cause of stress for women, uh, and work is the largest stress for men. Didn't say the women, didn't say that. Um, and what else? Do you know, I found this really quite alarming. The most stressed age group, they only did adults, is from 18 to 24, so the most stressed age group in the UK are those that are at university, and the thing that they're, or aim or jobs, just entering employment, etc. And the most thing that they're, the most thing that they're, they're stressed about is not having enough money. Um, and uh, oh my goodness me, I thought, well this this is to lift you up, guys. Okay, <laughs> It's to lift you up, right. Um, and so lastly. Um, in the UK as a whole, um, different areas are more stressed than others. Isn't that interesting? Northeast is the least stressed area. Northern Ireland is the most stressed area, apparently. Where are you, Heidi? Um, and um, various other things. People look for ways to deal with the pressure. So exercise is a very common thing to do, and it can have And getting out in the fresh air and seeing green fields and things like that really can help. But do they deal with the symptom or... Are they part, or do they just, uh, do they deal with the cause? You see, it's good to look after, God's designed us to be body, soul and spirit. And it's good for us to look after our body, our soul and our spirit. We need to do that because the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't care for the thing that we live and move around in, uh, but have a fantastic spirit, we may not be able to do the things that God's called us to do. So these are not in isolation, But how do we look after our spirit and how do we know this peace? Well, I don't think it's possible to to know peace without being at peace with God. Romans 5 says this, Romans starting at verse 5, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, although for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now we've talked a lot about the gospel in our groups and we we continue to do so, but it's really important that we chew on as a church what God has done for us. What an amazing thing that God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and that whilst we were still sinners, he died for us. Rick Warren puts it like this, you're never going to make peace with others until you make peace with God and the only way you're going to make peace with God is surrender. You were made to live with him as as manager, CEO and chairman of the board of your life. So there's no other way that we can accept that sacrifice than when he becomes Lord of our lives. If you're here today and and you haven't yet made Jesus Lord of your life, then that's something which I believe that God is going to give you an opportunity for today. As you hear what it's like to know God's peace, then I believe that that God will will help you uh, to surrender. The fundamental issue that causes war with God is that we want to be our own God. Colossians 1.21 puts it like this. At one time... Oh, sorry. At, uh, so God chose to, ch- through Jesus to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you are alienated and enemies in your minds from God because of your evil behaviour, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Our forgiveness is based on something that God has done. Now, a little while ago, um, I heard, uh, we all heard Mark talking about these things. People wear these funny things around their necks, right? Instrument of torture. Why would you wear an instrument of torture around your neck? I've got a little, just a little something. We, We may not be able to change what they wear, right? So... We may have to put up with these things being around. But what you might notice about this cross is it's empty. And there's a reason why the cross is empty. The cross is empty because Jesus has risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. And every time you see an empty cross, whether someone's just stuck it in their ear, or they dangled it around their neck, or it's on the top of a building somewhere, just remind yourself there's a reason why that's empty. It's because Jesus has raised, been raised from the dead. So, I think that this is this is really key. Let's, uh, there's another scripture here, Ephesians five twelve. Remember that at that time, so this is before we knew Jesus, we were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, in the previous verse, we looked at the fact that the natural state we have is to be enemies of God. The natural state is that we that we cannot we cannot um, please him, but somehow God's chosen to, to to show us what it's like to please him as we surrender ourselves to him. See, so here's what's what have I got here? What is it? it well, so you can see a bit closer. What is it, Alan? It looks like a beetle. Well, it's not supposed to be anything really very exciting. What's it look like? It's not very exciting. A black dot. A black dot, you all agree? It's a black dot? It's not very exciting, right? Okay. What we have is an ability to look at things and see the fault in them. right? What this is, is a clean piece of paper. but It's got a dot in the middle. right? When God looks at us, he doesn't see the black dot, he sees the piece of paper. When he looks at your friends who don't know him yet, he doesn't see the, the, the language. He doesn't see the attitude to drink. He doesn't see the other thing that you think is so important that needs to change. What he sees is this amazing and beautiful thing that he wants to know. And he wants to come close to. And we get caught up by the dots. And in fact, we sometimes only see our own dots. But God sees the whole thing. In the parable of the talents, um, you might remember the parable of the talents. There are, there are, there's a guy who's given lots of stuff, there's a guy given slightly less stuff, and there's a guy who's given not very much at all. And the point is, the guy who's not given much at all, uh, he does nothing with it. The others invest what they've been given, they get more besides, and the master's pleased with them. But the guy who buries it says, oh, I didn't do anything with it because I knew you were a harsh master. What is it that you see on the face of God when He thinks of you? Do you see Him as a harsh master, one who's grudgingly giving you things? Or do you see one who is rushing out to meet you, who took you home, who fed you, who celebrated when you came home to be with Him? Because that's really important. Because if we're driving, if we're being driven by Uh, I need to perform. It will affect everything we do. I've mentioned it before. I've been uh, using something called the Bible app. I'm not quite sure. Anyone else got this problem? I've suddenly lost all my friends on the Bible app. I've lost all my friends. I've lost all my friends. But I still have Jesus. but But... but I don't have anyone else on the Bible app anymore. I don't know why. Anyway, but I was reading something in, Holy, in, um, in the week leading up to Easter. he called it Holy Week, whatever. Uh, that is what it called it in the, uh, in the Bible text. Anyway, not the Bible. In the, anyway, whatever. And it was talking about this other thing, which I think is worth just reflecting on. It's about what happened, what we remember... On the day of Good Friday. And this is what he read The death of Jesus is the fulfillment in history of the very mind and intent of God. There's no place for seeing Jesus as a martyr. His death was not something that happened to him, something that might have been prevented. His death was the reason he came. Your case for forgiveness can never be based on the idea that God is our Father and he'll forgive us because simply he loves us. That contradicts the revealed truth in Jesus Christ. It makes the cross unnecessary and the redemption much ado about nothing. Redemption meaning God making us new, making us to be perfect, changing that into that. Okay? God forgives sin only because of the death of Jesus. God could forgive his people in no other way than by the death of his son. And Jesus is exalted as saviour because of his death. We see Jesus, it says in Hebrews 2.9, exalted for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour. The greatest note of triumph ever sounded in the ears of a startled universe was that that sounded on the cross of Christ when Jesus said, it's finished. It's the final word in the redemption of humankind. Anything that lessens or completely obliterates the holiness of God through a false view of his love contradicts the truth revealed in Jesus Christ. Never allow yourself to believe that Jesus stands with us and against God out of pity and compassion, or that Jesus became a curse out of sympathy for us. Jesus became a curse by divine decree. God decided that he would take our place. What we need to do is to realise that our forgiveness is not based on anything we did, but on the death of Jesus. And he took everything on him. And when we sin, if we sin, if we get things wrong, there is only one place to come back. And it's the same price that Jesus paid. And if we feel that something we've done was so great that it can't get us back to him, we're saying that, Jesus, what you did wasn't enough. What you did when you died on the cross, that it wasn't enough for me. We've been forgiven completely by what God's done. Um, sorry. And, uh, but if we don't live in the reality of that forgiveness, we can find ourselves in a place where we don't have peace. And these are some of the things that I think can be symptomatic of lacking peace. Now, some of these I read in a book, and some of them... I may have seen in other people. (laughs) Um, Yeah, striving. Trying to do something that's going to please him for approval or recognition. You know, God can't love you any more than he does. We do want to do things that please him. We make it our goal to please him, the Bible says in word or deed. Everything we do, we do in the, in the name of Jesus. But if what we're trying to do is to earn his forgiveness or somehow get in his good books, we've missed the point. Because he doesn't see the dots on us. He doesn't see the faults in us. He sees the glorious righteousness of Jesus when he looks at you. And so there is nothing that you can do to make yourself better. I think, I think another thing can be a, a restlessness. Now, there's a sense in which we can become unsettled with where we are, and that's when God divinely is moving us on, and that's absolutely right. But there's a restlessness in life that I don't think is healthy. Paul writes about, I've learned the secret of finding contentment with what I have. And, and I think that there's a tension there there is a genuine tension there that we need to we need to work through individually because God wants us to be content with what I have with what we have but longing for something more i think if we lack peace peace is in one of those things in galatians in, in galatians that's listed in galatians 5 as the fruit of the spirit okay now You may have heard me say this before, I'll say it again, because repetition is the secret of good teaching. Repetition is the secret of good teaching. (laughs) Anyway, Galatians 5.22 tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is, but when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but when the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, there's only one. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And against such things there's no law. That's what Galatians 5.22 says. Now I put it to you that there's only one fruit because we can't say we don't get one of those things. We don't get one of those things. I think I've just died. Ah, there we go, we're coming back. Um... I don't have an excuse, so I can say I'm really gifted in prophecy, and I've got the fruit of love, but I have no patience whatsoever. That doesn't work with God, okay? When the spirit is in us, we can expect to grow in all of those things. So if we lack peace, I suspect you'll find you might lack joy. That you might find it, it hard sometimes to be kind, or you might come across as unkind, I've heard, um, that, you, that you sometimes don't have the self-control that you would have expected to have. So these are all things that can come out of us when we don't have this shalom peace, this peace that God intends us to have. Now here's some reasons why I think we might, oh, I asked, can you think of any others? Can you think of any others? it's a pretty exhaustive list anyone experienced or seen it out of other people when we don't have peace when they don't have peace reacting. reacting good one i mean that's actually really like a i guess that's like an example isn't it when we're impatient a symptom of it is when we react to things and we don't we don't just kind of see what god wants us to do Okay. All right, well, it's something for you to ponder. I think there may be other things for you to come up with. Um, why might we lack peace? Well, before we know Jesus, the reason why we don't have peace is because we don't have God. And God is our peace. He himself, the Bible says, is our peace. And, and if, if you don't know him, one of the things that you, shows you that you don't know him is this kind of dissatisfaction. There's a kind of a... Uh, you, can, you can sense there's something missing. Because God's designed us to have him inside of us. I think that another reason for lacking peace can be that false perspective on God. It's not up here. Um, like I talked about in the parable of the talents. That if we don't see God right, and if we're thinking of him as a harsh master, then I think that we'll miss... The grace of God in that. If we're in a position where more is expected of us than we're gifted to give, that's what being beyond measure means. If, we're, if we've got too much weight, we need to find brothers and sisters to carry it with us, because that's why we've been put into a body. We can start things in the spirit, the Bible says. And we can end up in the flesh. We have to keep in step with the spirit. Um, and that's where I think the two things have... Uh, has, it's, that can be in two ways. It can be because we've, we've slipped into doing the wrong thing. Or we're doing... Uh, we're failing to do the right thing. So that's two ways we can, we can find ourselves lacking peace. And the, 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 the point of lacking peace is to bring us back to, bring us back to the prince of peace. Okay, so when we find this happening in our life, this is what God's designed it for, to bring us back to him. If we are not fully accepting this forgiveness of God, then I think that that can be something that steals away our peace. Now remember, the basis for the forgiveness that you experience is the same as the basis of the person sitting next to you. None of us have special treatment, but we all have an extraordinarily special treatment in that Jesus took everything on him. There is no one on this earth that Jesus hasn't given his life for. And you are not an exception. So if you're feeling unforgiven about something, something from your past that is, that, that is still coming back in your mind, then that's something which I think God wants to deal with today. Sometimes we can, we find ourselves... It can be big things, it can be little things. We can find ourselves in a position where we're not moving and practising forgiveness. We know when we're practising forgiveness... Um, I think I've got that somewhere else. We'll come back to that. We know we're practising forgiveness... Uh, when certain things are true, I'm going to come back to, to that later, but we might more th- think of it as being having a grudge against someone. Someone gets on our, someone gets on our nerves, you know, and, and, they, and they, they're kind of, yeah, so sometimes we can carry things that aren't ours to carry, and actually we need the Father to, to take the burden. My son has got this phrase on his wall. I don't know if it's yours, Jamie. Um, might be. Might be, I don't know. Might be the Lord's. Um, he, I've noticed he's got it up above his desk. He's had it for a while in his bedroom. Um, when Don't look at the size of the mountain. Look at the size of the, or remember the size of the mountain mover. Don't get distracted by the size of the mountain that you're looking at. God is more than able to do more than we can possibly ask or think. Whatever it is you're dealing with, whether it's the exams that are coming up in the next few weeks, whether it's uh, months, sorry, kids, uh, or whether uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's that review that you've got coming up at work, or what it is, whatever the big thing is, God is much bigger than that. So... Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, um do, as you'll have seen this slide before, but it's the same sort of thing. So, um, we've been forgiven by what God has done. Uh, Mike, the prophet Micah uh, puts it like this. says, God, who is, who is a God like you who pardons sin and removes tr- uh, forgives transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy you will again have compassion on us and you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That's just another word for the things that we do that are wrong. Not only will he forgive, though, he'll also forget. Um, in Hebrews eight twelve, it says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. That means God will never raise issues with you again that he's dealt with. He's forgotten them, so so can you. So Corrie Ten Boom um, puts it like this. She says, I can do something that God can't do. I can remember my sins. Because when when God puts our sin into the sea, he puts a big sign up that says no fishing. So the enemy might want you to go there and to dig something up. But he says... God says, don't fish there. I've dealt with it. When you were baptised, you left that stuff in the water. You left that stuff in the water. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. You're my child. I've made you free. I've set set you free. Now, just recently, we had the opportunity to go to Holland on holiday. And um, I'll just show you my holiday picture. There you go. We went to Corrie ten Boom's house. Um, and we're with Mark and T and uh, this is uh, some not Corrie Ten Boom this is, this is Lydia, sorry <laughs> my daughter uh, this is, the bottom picture shows you what Corrie Ten Boom's house looks from the front uh, and that's the front door that we were waiting outside um, they only allow people in I think oh, something like four times a day and this, uh, for English speaking tours and you have to queue up and the first 20 get in and the rest don't it's like it's like in the days of Noah, the doors open and there's grace for so many and then they turn the rest away. Um, but we went in and this uh this elderly lady just basically there was very little to look at. If you've been if you've been to Anne Frank's house, if you might have been in, in Saint uh, same country, Uh, there's a big museum all about um, Anne Frank's life and how they lived. When you go here, in fact the house had been sold and it was modernised and they've had to kind of reinstate some of the things to make it look a bit like it was when this lady called Corrie Ten Boom was there. Now Corrie Ten Boom's famous because she was a Christian, her family were Christians, um, and she and her sister lived at home with her father and um, she was about 49 the outbreak of war, um, and they used to have refugees or people staying in their home who weren't supposed to be there. They'd always done it. They'd always found people that were lost and alone and looked after them. But at, during the war time, they used to take in Jewish people, and they had a place, a hiding place that was in Corey's bedroom. Uh, that was just like a partition's bit off the end, and we went and stood. We had the ability to go and stand in this space. Uh, where the five people hid, uh, if there was ever... They used to have drills every day where they used to go and hide to practice so that when the Gestapo came round, they could, um, they could hide in the space and they'd not be arrested. On one day, they did come, and uh, the people went into the space, but unfortunately, the guards didn't believe what the Ten Booms were saying, and so the Ten Booms got arrested. Her father died. He was quite elderly anyway, but the whole experience... Uh, led to him uh, dying, Um, and she and her sister were taken into a concentration camp. Not because she was Jewish, but because she'd been helping Jewish people. The people that were in their home all survived. Um, Anyway, uh, she's someone who talks a lot about forgiveness. So uh, today I wanted to talk about two aspects, really. So far I've been talking about the basis of God's forgiveness of us. right? And we can have peace with God because he has utterly dealt with has dealt with everything that we, we, we have done through Jesus, okay? But just for a moment, I want you to think about the fact that actually he's done enough for everyone that you know. And every time they wrong you, Jesus has done enough for their forgiveness too. So just as God forgives us through the death of Jesus, God wants us to forgive one another because of the death of Jesus. Not because of their repentance, not because of what they uh, say to you, the the look on their face, but because Jesus died to pay for that sin. Corrie ten Boom was talking in 1948 about forgiveness, and this happened. While they're just dealing with this, um, she says in it, do remember, or you may, may not know, so she's Dutch, she's speaking English, so not everything she says is perfectly... Uh, no, I'm saying there's anything wrong with Dutch people's English. It's much better than my Dutch, I have to say. Uh, but she says here, you never touch so the ocean of God's love as you it was one of the most cruel enemies. The I wonder if you could just... Uh, could you just pause it and go back the to the beginning, campaign. possibly? And
1: that meant- it was some time ago that I was in Berlin,
0: and there came a man
1: to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel offseers, guards in the concentration in concentration camp and that man said i have i'm now a christian i have found the lord jesus i read my bible and i know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world also for my sins i have forgiveness for the cruelties i have done but then i have asked god grace for an opportunity that i could ask one of my very victims forgiveness and fraulein once in me forgiven, Bill, you forgive me, and I could not. When I was in the concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was uh, that they stripped us of all our clothing, and we had to stand naked. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross and the Bible tells they took his garments he hanged there naked and I knew he hanged there for me for my sins and by my suffering I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ and it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew, I myself had no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus' coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate Him. And then, I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who was given to me and thank you Father that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free and I could say brother give me your hand and I shook hands with him and it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. no, it's not finished. No. I can't either, but he can.
0: Okay. Yeah, can you forgive? I can't, but he can, and therefore I will. So we sat in this uh, room in this house, and uh, this elderly lady who'd known Corrie Ten Boom uh, explained to us the story And we sat there, this group of 25 or so of us on various chairs, some on the floor, some hearing, uh, just hearing the story and standing in the hiding place. And when she talks about forgiveness, you know it's real. Now, I know we've talked about forgiveness. We've had others have come to us and testified about, from Sierra Leone, about the power of forgiveness in a town, a, a land that was torn by war. And yet we sometimes can struggle with the most trivial things to forgive others, whether they know God or not. And God has provided a way for their forgiveness. So he's got a power for us to, to, to receive, to enable us to step into forgiveness and to give them forgiveness. We don't just let people off the wrongs they do to us, okay? It, it does feel a bit like you're letting them get away with it, and we, we talk about that when we talk about forgiveness. But the thing is, their forgiveness is based, our forgiveness of them is based on what Jesus has done. If we put ourselves into a position well, I'll forgive them if they come to me and they you know, do this, they apologise. They look sorry. That is forgiveness. John has often said in, the, in different positions, I know you're here, so you have to deny it if it's not true. Forgiveness, well, has to, be, has, to be, has to be given. That's not ever the question. Sometimes we have to work out whether it's what restoration looks like for a person. But forgiveness is always given. And I'd always thought, why is forgiveness just given? And it's because it's not based on that person. It's based on what Jesus has done. And, you know, when we fail to forgive from the heart, Jesus talks about, um, the, in the parable of the unmerciful servant, he talks about the importance of forgiving from the heart. In other words, not just paying lip service to forgiveness, not just, not just saying the words, but releasing this, Love that Cory Ten Boom talks about that God has poured out into our hearts by his spirit. If we release that love, then we'll be enabled and empowered to forgive. Um, a quote I, I saw, which I think is true, holding grudges doesn't make you strong, it makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak, it sets you free. And I think that's true. Okay, another... So we've been talking about, I think this is a big, a big one, a big aspect of not knowing the peace of God can be coming from this. Here's another thing. Um, sorry, I don't spend my life on holiday, but, um, but I do. I, um, don't laugh, obviously. Um How about this? Do I stop by the river? This uh, place on the left here, another Jake's family album photograph, is, um, this is Bern in Switzerland. Uh, if you've seen uh, the river in Bern online, it was a few years ago, they had this heat wave in Switzerland, and people were jumping into the river in order to cool off. Uh, uh, and they, it's basically one of these rivers, it's so fast flowing, you kind of jump in, and then you just get carried along. And then they've got, in a very Swiss and non uh, safety conscious way, they have a few rails like just with steps that go out into the river and you have to grab hold of the rail as you go past, otherwise you just get swept down the river. I don't know. In the UK, we have signs up on every bit of water saying you can't possibly swim in In, in. I suppose if you get into that water, it's pretty cool, actually. That's why it's that colour. Anyway, um, we were walking past the river um, and, um, and we had the family all together and Owen got excited and did this. Uh, And I'm wanting to look around the town and look at all the exciting things, but he said, no, I think we should just stop and put our feet in the river. And then, pretty soon, he was joined by some others. Now, I didn't join in, so there isn't a fourth picture of me doing this, but as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, sometimes we can be a bit like me in that town, wanting to get on and wanting to do the next thing. God's river is here. I'm not talking about the river in Bern, whatever that's called. I'm talking about the river of his Holy Spirit. And he wants us sometimes to set aside from our agenda, to kind of not really just dip our feet in, but you get the idea. Yeah? To actually to actually get into the river and to enjoy him. Set aside time in your life where you are bathing in him. Because God wants that kind of relationship with you. He's excited about being with you. He doesn't see the spot that is all you see on that piece of paper. You know, I used to get, I say used to get spots, I still get spots. There are days when you got up in the mirror and all you could see was this spot. And you go downstairs and your parents would never notice. But all you could see was the spot. It's the same, isn't it, with sin. Yeah? Yeah? We can sometimes, all we can see is this, this mess, and yet God's designed us, or has, has chosen to cover us with the blood of Jesus so that we are made whole and we know his forgiveness. And so that's my encouragement to you, is that I believe we can access peace where we are by moving forgiveness, by enjoying his presence. And finally... This, which comes from Philippians. Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 9. Paul writes it like this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all of understanding, all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just starting in that first paragraph. What do we do? Well, we take our minds, our eyes off the problem and we focus on God. We rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is about celebrating and thanking him for the things he's done. That's what I've tried to do today when we talked about the forgiveness that is ours through Jesus. You know, there may be many things coming up that would want to distract you when you're going into a crisis. The first thing we have to do is to focus on God instead of him. We know that God is in control of our circumstances and only allows things that are good for us to happen in the long run in the long run. And we don't understand them, always. In that same house, Corrie ten Boom tells a story of... uh, I believe it's where the story comes from, of the tapestry. If you've ever made a tapestry, uh, you sew, don't you, to make a pattern on one side of the cloth, and on the other side, it's all a mess. And we saw the tapestry that she used to use when she was teaching, about the mess that there was on one side, whereas God had been creating something else. Sometimes our lives look a mess, but God is creating something beautiful on the other side. That's only the beginning. Our, from our focus on God, we need to be also um, serving, because I believe that serving takes our eyes off of the the powerlessness we feel in the face of the problem. And as we get involved in doing stuff for him, I believe that that, that will help us. And what happens when... It's all right. We can focus on others. We can focus on God. We can focus on others. We can focus on serving them. But what happens when we're alone? Well, that's where I think the prayer thing comes in. I think that's where it's really important that we bring our things, uh, the things that are concerning to us, to him. Fill our minds with his thoughts. Use, use, use the Bible. Read uh, some of these promises of God. Um, and then... Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. You see, this thing of the peace of God is is a vital and necessary power for us and we access him. We access this peace of God when we know that God is near. Um, when we know that it's not about what we do, but it's about what he's done. When we focus instead of on the mountain, but the power, rather the power of the mountain mover. Um, focusing on serving others and using prayer to, to recalibrate us. You've moved your focus then from your troubles to God. And Paul says to make sure you keep doing that and keep doing the things that God has told you to do. So my prayer this morning, my expectation this morning, is that there will have been things in there that, that I'm hoping will help us to be a more peaceful people against this backdrop of, of a world where 85% of the adults that we cross with will be stressed out at points in the week that some will have health related issues to do with that stress a significant number will but god's made us to be a man of to be men and women of peace in that situation um i think uh just just this week i was talking to someone or whatsapping someone and i just felt you know there was a lot of pressure in their workplace and I felt that God was calling him to be that man of peace. But we can't be a man of peace when we're in turmoil ourselves. We have to know that we're forgiven. We have to see what do you see on the face of God when he looks at you? What do you picture? Do you see that sense of approval? Because he is delighted in you. He is delighted in you. He is delighted in you. And because he's delighted in you, he sent his son Jesus for you to set you free from sin. Isn't that good? Praise God. Thank you.